0: Hey everyone, Future George here. Before we get started, I want to prep you for what you're about to hear. Instead of talking about books that move the general story of the Marvel Comics universe forward this week, we got really lucky. Sean McKeever, an Eisner Award winning author who wrote a ton of books at Marvel in the early 2000s, was nice enough to stop by and let me pick his brain. We're jumping straight into an interview of what it was like being at Marvel and we're talking about his most significant works. And since I didn't do the best job of crediting the teams that brought them to life with Sean, let me do that up front now. Mary Jane, Mary Jane Homecoming and Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane with artist Takashi Miyazawa, David Hahn, Valentin Delandro, Norman Lee, Christina Strain, Gravity co-created with artist Mike Norton inked by Jonathan Glapion, Sentinel with art by Eric Vetter, Joe Vreens, and Scott Hepburn, with Colors by Udon, and Inhumans Volume 4, later known as Young Inhumans, with artists Matthew Clark, Robert Taranashi, and Matthew Ross. We're not doing the typical summary retelling of these stories, we're just going to get our feet wet and start talking about the books, since they're Marvel books, but more adjacent to main continuity. Frankly... I just really like these stories, and Sean was nice enough to agree to come on, and I didn't want to rehash the stories back to the guy who wrote them. So instead, we talk about the characters, their motivations, and what it was like creating them. Fair warning, I get nerdy as hell on this show. I hope you enjoy the interview. Please follow at purplebird616 on Twitter for updates on the show. The bigger the following, the more likely we are to get cool guests like Sean on here. And holy hell, is that something I'm interested in doing? Please rate and share this podcast with anyone you think might be interested. And let's get the word out about the show so we can get more cool professionals like Sean back on it. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you enjoy the interview with Sean McKeever that you are about to hear. Love you. Bye. Hello internet and welcome to a very special episode of Shortbox Summary. I'm your host George and this week I'm so excited for the first time ever we have an actual working comics professional in here as a guest. We have Eisner Award winning comic writer Sean McKeever. Sean is best known for his time telling creator-owned stories like The Waiting Place and Outpost Zero as well as a ton of Marvel stories from the mid-2000s which is why I'm so excited to have him here. Welcome Sean to Shortbox Summary. How you doing?
1: Oh thanks for having me. I'm doing great.
0: Uh, this all started because I was rereading Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane and I was waxing poetic about it, just saying how much I love that series. And then you liked the tweet and I, I got the courage. I, I went to your website, reached out to you.
1: Yeah, I was doing a little vanity search and, you know, I, every, <laughs> every now and then I do a search for Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane and, and see if people are talking about it. It seems like more people talk about it now. Than they did when it was coming out
0: <laughs> yeah well i think uh it was reprinted in like new not quite digest not quite trade paperbacks fairly recently
1: yeah they put out um all of uh my work and then terry moore's run um in um in three volumes uh, i think they started that like two years ago mm-hmm. um and and hopefully they've been successful i don't you know i don't really get like sales reports but um but it, a lot of people apparently have been picking it up and then also um the first five issues of Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane have been reformatted for Marvel's new Infinity format, which is their or their Infinite format, which is their uh, uh, scrolling uh, mobile um, presentation on their Marvel Unlimited app. Uh, that so, was that was what made me check it back out, out again. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> people have been picking that up that way too.
0: Oh man, how how weird is it that people are still talking about a book? 15 years after it ended 14 years after it ended it's got to feel strange
1: well it well it's gratifying you know um Mm -hmm. it's to me in a way it's not strange because i i do feel like we were maybe a little bit ahead of the ball um in terms of uh you know readership and and where that was headed in comic books um i think it's you know we were still at a point in the mid-2000s where um you know, there were I, I've heard from from several uh, you know male fans of the book that like they would get teased by their retailer for buying it, or they would stick it in the middle of the stack because it has a heart and says loves on it. You know, and, right. <laughs> and there, there's this, there was this stigma that exists that I, you know it, it, I'm sure it still exists to some extent, but it's it's clearly not like that anymore. And it's and and the the comics fan base is diversified so greatly now that I think it's you know more of an acceptable. Uh, concept especially when you look at like you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe and all and and the animated stuff and and just this kind of idea that we can do lots of different takes on something and it doesn't mean that it's the take on, mm-hmm. on it, you know um there will always be the Amazing Spider-Man series but um but you can have something like Into the Spider-Verse and you can have Miles Morales and you can have Spider-Gwen and and all these different variations on on the Spider-Man mythos and it's still, you know, acceptable and enjoyed in its own right. And not because it counts or doesn't count, you know, whatever that.
0: Right. (laughs) All right. So for readers or wow, sorry for listeners uh, listening, uh, we were talking about uh, Sean McKeever had a series called Mary Jane, a follow-up series called Mary Jane homecoming, and then a 20 issue ongoing called Spider-Man loves Mary Jane, all telling the story of, Mary Jane. And like, I guess technically as a Spider-Man story, but from someone else's point of view and I've done some research and it seems like this was just based on the popularity of the character Mary Jane from the Sam Raimi movies.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah. It came top down from, from uh, people outside of publishing Um, um, Alan Fine and, and, um, and um, um, Avi Arad were involved in, in sort of ushering in a Mary Jane comic book at Marvel Um, and, um, you know, so Marvel, one of the editors at Marvel, uh, Mackenzie Caden had came to me, um, and she said, look, we have this concept, what we want to do. Um, it's going to have like manga, manga style art. They already had Takeshi Miyazawa attached to it. Um, and he was already working on character designs. Um, and she said, you know, we want it to be, you know, something that's more all ages, but it doesn't have to be, um, entirely, you know, uh, like, you know, it doesn't have to be totally um, um, cheesy or after school, especially like like it can just be kind of fun um, and it can be, you know, based more on on relationships. And that was a lot of what I did with The Waiting Place and within humans was I dealt heavily in, in interpersonal relationships and. Um, and so, uh, so she asked me to pitch for it, and I pitched, and and we were off to the races. You know, uh, it was originally supposed to be an ongoing series, but Mary Jane became quickly a four-issue series because it, it just wasn't selling that great. Um, but as soon as they put it out as a digest, that thing sold really well. So they said, "Well, let's do another four issues," and that's when mm-hmm. we did Spider-Man or Mary Jane Homecoming. Um, and it was while we were actually still working on that mini series that they turned around and said, okay, we're going to do an ongoing series, but we, had, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 I, we think we're going to get to the, to the audience we're looking for. Um, and it's, it's not losing us money. Um, it, you know, um, we're, but we have to have the title start with Spider-Man. It has to, you know, alphabetically, it's got to be Spider-Man.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Something And they're like, Spider-Man presents Mary Jane, Spider-Man's girlfriend, Mary Jane, you know, and and they had all these ideas. And I said, well, why not? Spider-Man loves Mary Jane. And I was half joking. Um, But, uh, but Mackenzie like glommed onto that immediately. And and everybody at Marvel was like, yep, that's the title. (laughs) And so so then, yeah, so then it became an ongoing series. And, you know, I got to, I I grew up reading Spider-Man. He's my favorite superhero um, by far. And so the fact that I got to kind of do my own riff on it, doing my own kind of, you know, like teen romance stories and teen drama stories um, with Spider-Man and getting to like include all the cheesy 70s villains and stuff like that that I love. Right. Um, what, a, what a blast that was. And working with Takeshi, who is just like, he's one of the most amazing artists I've ever worked with. So good with characters. Um, yeah, that was, that was a ton of fun.
0: Yeah, and you can tell that you're having fun while you're producing the book too. Like that I think that's very palpable, like in, in the pages. Uh was it hard to sort of thread a needle? Because like at this time you had the Spider-Man movie, so that was one interpretation of Mary Jane. You had the 616 mainline continuity where Peter and, and Mary were married. And then you also had the ultimate line, which had just started. So like you were asked to sort of carve out like a different interpretation of these characters was was that difficult to do especially you said spider-man's your favorite character so i assume like in your head you're like well we got to tell the story authentically to the character but this has to be different enough to justify being almost like a new imprint line basically
1: right um yeah where where i would say like um the other properties were kind of doing their own thing i i kind of looked back at um again like like actually this would probably be You know, some of this would be stuff I was reading in Marvel Tales, which was the Spider-Man reprint series back in the 80s, Um, you know, because I was reading tales from the from before I was reading uh, Marvel. Um, And uh, and then also like some of the current stuff at the time in the 80s um, that I always saw Mary Jane as like, you know, she was she was a very popular girl, but she hid like a great sadness Um, and, you know, I think, I think ultimate Spider-Man went with a character who was a little more grounded, uh, and not so, uh, grandiose externally. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and the, the movie, I would say kind of did that too. Although she, you know, she had that sort of desire to be glamorous. Like it was before she became Mary Jane almost in a way, you know, um, but I, I just kind of wanted to, to, um to really hone in on that idea that like, that like she was a popular girl, uh, people really liked her. Um, but it was fairly surface and, and under the surface she was, you know, she felt like something was missing. Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's, that's really what I keyed into with my take on her and that, and that she, um, that she sees in Spider-Man, like, like, you know, a forbidden adventure or something like that, you know, like, like maybe this is the thing, or if it's even if it's not the thing, this is what I'm after now.
0: Cause it's exciting and it's thrilling, you know? Right. Um, I think that definitely comes across in the series, and it really uh I think the most fascinating thing, it's been talked to death, but like the Dark Mary Jane saga, as as it's come to be known, like the two issue <laughs> the two issue origin basically of Mary Jane sort of putting on that face, right? Like the first time she like really sort of closed herself off and just tried to be happy for everyone else's sake. And that coincided with uncle Ben's passing in, in the comics. Um, was that, was that like a thing you were nervous to sort of present? Cause you that like that's a moment you can't take back, you know, like, Spider-Man exists, but then as soon as like you introduce that moment, then all of a sudden it seems like things have to sort of take off from there. So was was there apprehension about it?
1: Not really. There wasn't really time for it. Um, this was so this was a two part story that wasn't in the um, in the plans, you know, ever really. Um, but what had happened was um, was uh, Takeshi needed a couple issues off. Mm-hmm. And, and so we brought in, uh, Valentin Delandro. Um, and, you know, uh, I was, I was tasked with basically coming up with something that kind of stands on its own yet doesn't, but ha- and has like a framing sequence that, that Takeshi could draw, you know, a few pages of. And, um, <laughs> and so that's when I, I thought about, um, going back to, to earlier in, in MJ's life and, and having her go through this sort of pseudo goth phase, you know, this emo, I guess, I guess for her generation, when it came out, it'd be her emo phase, but um, right. um, It, you know, when I, when I first started putting it together and that it was early in Spider-Man's career, I, I, like, I don't know, I don't remember exactly when that came into the plot, but I mean, that was, that like, wasn't the initial idea behind it. Like to, to tell, um, that part of, of Peter's life from, from MJ's perspective. I think it was, um, I think it was more, I was just kind of following MJ and what she was going through and, uh, and realizing that she needed, um, that she, one, she needed some kind of, uh, you know, outside context to put, put her, uh, life in perspective. Um, cause it really, you know, she really was getting pouty over nothing big.
0: Uh, um, I mean, it was, it was only Ned Leeds. Like, yeah, like, it was, um, I mean, yeah, Ned Leeds was like,
1: like he wasn't even a character in the, in the series, you know, like, <laughs> right. like, like who cares about him?
0: Um, he's yeah. going to hobgoblin someday anyway. Yeah. Knows, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah she's going to be glad she dodged that bullet. Uh, <laughs>
1: and, and, uh, and then it was, it was also, it just, it just made for a really, um, poignant moment. Um you know, the, the real germ of it was, uh, there was a period, uh, in high school for me, like we, we had two lunch periods, um, you know, split amongst students based on their, on their schedules. And at some point, like in my junior year, I shifted to where, like, like I, I just, where I had to change lunch periods and there were probably people there that I could have sat with or whatever, but I was so, um, I had just such, uh, Uh, social um, uh, paranoia and, and anxiety that I couldn't stomach like going to look for someplace to sit. So I started eating lunch in a uh, classroom that was unattended during that period. um, Not even by the teacher. Sounds familiar. I would sit way way in the back in the dark room and, and just have my, you know, PB and J and whatever there. Um, And, and so that was kind of like, Oh, what if Peter was doing that? Oh, oh, he could be doing that because, you know, and so um, so I had, you know, so I kind of had MJ kind of kind of doing a bit of that um, that social uh, retreat and anxiety um, that I had gone through. And and in so doing, you know, come across Peter and see him in a light that we we didn't realize existed before in the series and 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 kind of tie in that that he's been a part of her life for longer than um, we made it out to be in the first eight issues, you know, the first two miniseries. So that was, yeah, that was, um, so that's a long way of saying, yeah, really, um, I, like, in terms of, um, touching on the mythos, I mean, it wasn't really a full-blown origin story, and it was the, um, it was essentially the same story as the original, you know, in in terms of Uncle Ben dying and, um, it having been a, a robber, um,
0: but it, um,
1: yeah, it, it felt fun. It felt uh, exciting to do.
0: Very cool. Um, I got to ask about the end of the series. Like the final page, it's uh, Mary Jane, like, says goodbye to Harry. Peter sort of like wraps things up with Gwen and also Firestar, I think, earlier in that <laughs> issue. Yeah. And then the final issue, or final, like, few panels is them sitting on the bench together. And it seems like they finally realize, like, they like each other, the timing's right. And just as they're about to hold hands, uh, that's it. That's all we get. We get a very heartfelt letter from you thanking everyone for reading the book and for sticking with it for too many series and, and 20 ongoing issues. I got to ask, how long were they together before their first big blow up fight after that? Like th- <laughs> this, this, this book, if you haven't read it yet, I cannot recommend it enough. It is very easygoing. If you watch a show like The O.C., it's just like that, except with like even more guilt-free drama about it. Like it's literally just about the relationships of these characters. So I yeah, got to ask, were they together for three issues before a big fight before Peter didn't want to confide his secret in her? Like what, what was the deal? Like, did you have more issues planned?
1: I did. I didn't have more planned. I, I, uh, I quit the series and that's why it ended. Um, oh. And that's, that's a whole big long uh, story that involves me going exclusive with DC comics and, and other stuff. But, um, but suffice it to say that at the, at the time I'd kind of run out of steam. Um, and so I, I just said, well, this feels like a good, as good as place as any to, to end it, um, you know, and a good way to end it. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say what happened after that because since then I've had ideas and who knows, you know, um, I haven't done anything uh, for Marvel in a decade, but you know. You never know, uh, maybe it becomes uh, so popular that they want some new stuff, but... Uh, oh my, but, oh my but goodness, I, I, can, but I can only
0: hope, yeah. I've since
1: had plenty of thoughts about how I would keep things going, you know, because, you know, the, these kinds of stories, um, the will they, won't they, you know, when they will, sometimes they lose steam. Um, mm-hmm. But I have lots of thoughts on, on how it wouldn't. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's just, it's really about keeping the characters true to themselves and seeming off and feeling authentic within the framework of the book. And, and, and you can't just have them have like a tension free relationship and be authentic. I, I feel like, uh, sure. even, even my friends who are like, you know, Oh yeah, me and my boyfriend or me and my girlfriend, we never have had a fight in X number of years. It's like, ah, there's, you know, there's, <laughs> you know, there's something, I, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily true, but, um, but, you know, I think I think it's healthy to to fight. And, and when you're writing stories, it's definitely um, it's definitely healthy to explore stuff through uh, conflict, you know. Um, sure. So, so um, I mean, they would definitely have a honeymoon period, but it would not Yeah, it definitely wouldn't be forever.
0: Gotcha. All right. Sorry. That was a personal theory. And also, like, I know, uh, Takashi Mizawa, like just came back to Marvel. He's doing work for Silk. I think he's the artist on that. Yeah, which just came out last week. So, uh, man, God, I hope the stars align. I I need more of this series. I gotta be honest. I was a huge fan of the O.C., and is oh, yeah. just hitting all the notes
1: yeah uh, yeah um at the like back when i did the waiting place which is kind of a similar vibe um everybody compared it to um dawson's creek which was i guess maybe sure. it was the, the oc of its time yeah <laughs>
0: but well, uh that, shades of melrose in there too i was oh, very okay. bored during the pandemic i went back i watched all of 90210 i watched all of melrose place i was just trying to like understand like the etymology of the, like this type of series you know oh yeah
1: yeah i've, ne- I've never wa- you know i've never watched any of those um primetime soaps like those um, like maybe some in the eighties, but those were all like, like adult adults, you know, like Dallas or, like or Dallas. Or, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't the, the teen and post teen kind of stuff um, like, like Friday night lights and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah. but, but I understand those are all really good. <laughs> that's, that's,
0: well, that's amazing to hear. Cause like, I think you do such a good job of like hitting very, very similar notes to that. In oh, your books but, you're, but but you're saying you weren't
1: no i'm rhythmically inspired by in general by tv like um i would say if i was inspired by anything like other media um it was more 30 rock than anything like trying to hit like a certain kind of pacing and mm-hmm. and um doing little you know doing these little quickie montages and stuff like that like i i just tried to you know to keep it kind of um humorous and light in that kind of sense um but uh but no yeah i i am um, i am not really people compare my stuff to john hughes and i guess i mean i was a big consumer of all this stuff so maybe maybe that's an influence i can point to but yeah in terms of the the tv dramas like um i don't have a i, I don't have a huge tolerance for him which is kind of funny because it's it's what i really enjoy writing <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but maybe that's because i'm I'm super sensitive to it i don't know
0: <laughs> just to give you a heads up i have my notes organized by books and then i have like a bucket of just like you know generic questions to ask one of the questions is is it safe to say that john hughes was a big influence on you so i'm just gonna go ahead and delete <laughs> that question from uh from my notes that never happened um it's <laughs> yeah. funny you, it's funny you say keep things lighthearted the next book i want to talk about i want to talk about sentinel yeah and sentinel i think um on one hand, incredibly lighthearted. On another hand, incredibly heavy. <laughs> that is, yeah. that is a heavy, heavy book. It's kind of a sad book. <laughs> yeah, dude, it's depressing as hell. I just reread it last night, and then I reread like the the five issue miniseries that that followed it. And man, that is that. There's a lot going on in that book. Yeah, Justin's a
1: sensitive kid, you know, um, mm-hmm. and that was that was very intentional. Um, and I, you know, um, and I wanted it to be about you know, um, I thought it was, it was such a cliche to have these, um, uh, you know, single parent families with a shitty dad, you know, um, and I wanted to kind of turn away from that and turn that on its head. And so we had, you know, three boys living together or two boys and, a, and their dad, and I wanted them to all be, you know, essentially loving, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that, so that gives it like a, a, a certain tenderness that, that, you know, that, I think helps both the the highs and the lows um, in terms of the, you know, when it's, when it's um, lighthearted and fun, it's, it's all the more joyous. And then when it's really sad, you feel it, you know?
0: Oh goodness. Yeah. Um, so for those who don't know, Sentinel tells the story of Justin Saifert, a precocious kid who finds the remains of a mutant hunting Sentinel in the woods near his house and builds it back together and uses it to get the bullies off his back at the local high school Everyone thinks Justin is a hero, but the guilt of his new found fame causes Justin to use the Sentinel to become an actual hero. So there's, I was, thank you. I was very uncomfortable reading that book. I'll be honest, through the first like six issues, because I'm like, well, this is kind of like a messed up thing. So he reprograms the Sentinel to pretend to be like an alien, basically, and attack the school. And he uh, specifically wants to terrorize these two bullies who beat up his friend and have beat him up several times. And then by the end of the issue, he says exactly what I'm thinking, where he's just like, "I feel like those kids from Columbine." Yeah, and like that, and I'm just like, "Okay, yes, like you understand like why I'm like very uncomfortable with you right now." Yeah,
1: yeah, it was, it was, you know, there was that first um, arc was actually really uh, difficult. Um, when uh, when Columbine happened, I was haunted by it. Like I, I literally had trouble sleeping uh, for quite a while. Um, and, and it's because on, on some level, I identify with what those two were going through emotionally or what I perceived they were going through emotionally at the time. Um, you know, I was, I was, um, I wouldn't say I was terribly bullied, but I, you know, but, um, but, yeah you know, uh, fairly well bullied, um, and, and had a lot of resentment for a lot of kids and had, you know, uh, dark thoughts and, I mean I'm I'm a kid who in 5th grade I wrote um a serialized uh sequel to Halloween as prose where Michael Myers um you know kills like all of my kills like other classmates and stuff and they let me read it <laughs> like weekly in installments in class um you know now nowadays obviously I would be you know I'd be sent to to a therapist and you know yeah maybe worse be, yeah you'd be on a list somewhere yeah yeah, I'd be on a list. Um, so, like, I, you know, like I, I understand like the dark thoughts, um, and I understand like, like, the temptation that somebody like Justin might have if he found some kind of weapon he could use against these people who, you know, who hurt his feelings so much and mm-hmm. and that he's feels powerless against. Um, but it, but you know, I had to I had to find the way around that um and 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 at the same time like like kind of you know kind of make him grow into some something stronger than than that base um sort of motivation um, right and so you know um I don't remember when or how I came up with that idea but it I don't think it was um well, it had to be. I had to have come up with it before we started writing before I started writing the first issue, because because um, I I would have had to submit the plot. Um, but it but that was the last piece to come together for sure. And it took me during that six months of writing the book to figure out what I was going to do next, which I guess is maybe a, a good thing to do, you know, to kind of force you into a corner. Um, mm-hmm. But I remember it being nerve wracking for me trying to figure out, like, well, what do I do? Well, he's got to feel guilty about it. OK, well, what do I do with that? You know? Um, right. you know, cause it, it, there's just no way like I would want to root for this kid if he like took advantage of all this, uh, unearned fame, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so that was, you know, so that made this, the, the next six issues a lot of fun to write.
0: Yeah. There's definitely, uh, like the redemption arc that he goes through in the the second half of the series. I think it's like, a a couple of smaller stories, like little three issue and two issue part stories. Um, But man, that it's funny because I I did not want to root for that kid, but then I ended up doing it. I think it's funny that you say that Spider-Man is like your favorite hero, uh, because I always think of Spider-Man feeling guilty for something he didn't do. You know, he didn't stop that person from hurting Uncle Ben. But then Justin feels guilty for something he did do, which, like, isn't incredibly common, actually, like, in comics. You know, it's always people who are victims who then rise above to make sure no one else ever feels that way. But he's someone who actually was, like, the the aggressor in a situation, and he's trying to atone for something shitty that he did.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I think that, like, some of those villain terms that we we get in long-running comics, like the X-Men and stuff, can be really good in that sense, like if it's, you know, somebody who has done wrong and, and needs some form of redemption, but it, you know, usually it's like, oh, Juggernaut's been like doing awful things and killing people for decades, you know, it's like, how can you really, you know, redeem like, that? You yeah, redeem yeah. yourself from that? Yeah. But, and, you know, or Magneto for that matter. But, um, but yeah, I, I think that it's, you know, especially a teenager, because it, you teenagers don't make the right decisions. You know, Peter didn't make the right decision when he let that uh, um, when he didn't like trip up that, you know, that robber, you know, um, although a few people would, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, I mean, Justin actively did something uh, to not be proud of, you know, um, mm-hmm. and it, and something he doesn't want to the truth to get out. Um, but he want, but you know, he, he wants to not
0: do anything like that ever again, you know, and, and, uh, but he doesn't know how to be that person. Right. And then I think you really touch on that in the follow-up. Uh, can you talk about that for a second? Just like having, was it originally an ongoing series for the Tsunami imprint that became 12 issues?
1: Right. Yeah. It, um, so Um, I had been doing like a little bit of work for Marvel. Um, I got my first work in 2001 on the incredible Hulk. Um, and I had done a few issues of stuff here and there. And, um, I was approached to pitch, uh, two different series and that was Sentinel and Inhumans. Um, and so I pitched for both of those along with, you know, who knows how many writers and I got both of them and they were both intended to be ongoing series. Um, as part of that tsunami launch, uh, from 2003. And, uh, uh, really the only books that made it out of that beyond 12 issues were, um, mystique and runaways, the Brian cave on book. And I right. took over mystique. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Um,
1: um, but, um, so yeah, Sentinel was intended to be an ongoing and humans was intended to be an ongoing. I did not have plans for either series beyond issue 12. Um, just because it was, you know, I was working on these two books and, and, and focusing very heavily on the now and the, you know, what's next issue and, you know, to spend extra time, like, you know, uh, thinking about that far in the future was really tough for me at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, um, I was, I think I, you know, I was just really nervous about, about messing up.
0: (laughs) Sure. Yeah, no, I get that. (laughs) Um, So with the five issue, uh, series that takes place after uh, the first 12 issues of, of Sentinel. Uh, we meet a senator and uh, his, his colonel friend that he put in place. And it feels like this is worst case scenario, Justin, right? Like these are the people responsible for the Sentinel being in Wisconsin in the first place. We learned that the Sentinel was actually used to eliminate uh, the senator's competition, uh, like r- running against him. And it seems like it's really not that different than what Justin did, except it actually worked and like was taken to like the nth degree. When when you were doing those characters, did did you want to show like the extremes, like how far Justin could go?
1: That's a really good question, because listening to you um, distill the plot, like I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what that was about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I was asked to do the Sentinel miniseries because the first two volumes did really well as digests and they wanted to have three volumes. Um, and so I came up with a plot that was rejected. Um, and then, and this was the second version I came up with. And I I know that a big, that the bigger part of like what I wanted it to be about had to do with, with Justin um, kind of um, uh, coming to terms with, with his mother um, not wanting to be, part of his life um but the you know i i don't think i think that that if if that was there it was subconscious the the duality of you know sort of the two sides of the same coin um thing but yeah i guess i guess it does turn out that that's like oh yeah what if what if justin was just an you know unrepentant asshole i think i was just more about like politicians suck (laughs) and and, you know and and also i really wanted to involve the wider Marvel Universe as best as I could they there was sort of, there was sort of a thing with this at least in my um, experience with the tsunami books that I wrote they didn't want it to tie into the Marvel Universe um, directly um, and it's it's kind of hard to do that when you've got a you know mutant hunting robot like it's like you got to broach the idea of like the x-men and all that stuff um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I think that that was the Sentinel program was a way that I could, like, you can't help but get into that because it's like, well, what is this thing? Where does it come from? You know? Um, and so, so that was how I um, got my way into there. Cause I think the first time was the first thing was more that Justin meets a teenage uh, mutant. Like a, I think it was a speedster girl. Um, and that was the way I was going to like, um, you know, broaden it. But they, they really didn't want to make mutants a a major part of the of the book um ironically <laughs> sure,
0: sure.
1: Yeah. but yeah that, um i that's yeah i guess i guess i i lucked into that uh <laughs> that character uh comparison
0: well i thought for sure is intentional cuz like there's one scene where the senator is even like looking at a photo and his wife even looks like the cheerleader girlfriend of Justin like the one who just is globbing on to him for like the attention and like the uh, uh-huh. the chance to interview
1: you know it's entirely possible, but I, I just don't recall it. Fair enough. All right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um. So d- you think we weren't supposed to like Justin when we first met? Like, did, ha- as a writer, like, did you not like Justin when you're like in the process? we were like, man, this kid's a dick. This kid's a dick. This kid's a dick. And then finally, you got to a point where you're like, okay, here's where he starts to turn things around. Here's where he he finds himself and becomes a better person. Like, is that a a, a struggle you go through as a writer when you're like in the thick of it, but you can see the goal?
1: Well, I don't, I don't think I saw Justin as a dick. I think I saw him as, um, like I said, just overly sensitive, you know, and, and, okay. and touchy, um, and, and selfish, certainly. Um, but, um, I think that, you, you know, that you've got to, you know, I, I like for characters to have, uh, things about them that are unlikable and, you know, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't turn characters into Mary Sues, right? Like, um. You need them to have some dimensionality to them. Um, and so with Justin, I just wanted to be honest about, about a kid who, you know, um, who, who feels aggrieved and, you know, and, and, um, feels, uh, in certain ways kind of alone, you know, even though he's got like, you know, who wouldn't want, you know, a brother and a dad who, who love him like that, you know? Um, yeah, but, um, but you know, I, I, I think that um that making it like starting out, you know, as a revenge fantasy kind of thing was just a way of, of exploring that without going all the way. Um, and so that was you know, so um I think I think sometimes writing it I was concerned about about it, you know, if if I was taking it too far or you know, like I could feel kind of the, the awkwardness of the moment, you know, and some sure, of those yeah, scenes. Yeah. Like, you know, when he uh, when he like runs off crying and things like that. Um, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, so long as I'm like into the scene, um, it, it doesn't really um, it doesn't really matter. I won't pull punches then necessarily. I'll just I'll just feel it out the way that it that it seems like it should go.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I think it works well like it's a really heavy book but it's also heavy just like being a teenager you know especially being a it teenager in a teenager. position yeah.
1: yeah I mean I think a lot of us look back at that and go oh my god you know uh, yeah. but, those, but those feelings we had back then were real you know mm-hmm. um, and they were real to us and, and um, you know I was a kid who dealt a lot with depression and anxiety and, and so those were kind of you know those were always uh, things that are present in my work I guess uh, yeah almost always but um, but uh, but yeah, I, w- I wanted to honor that time of, of uh, our
0: lives. Man, speaking of uh, depressed and anxious, let's jump into <laughs> Inhumans, if that's cool with you. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah.
0: Inhumans, uh, having recently passed through the Terrigen Mist, five young Inhumans were to be granted powers and a place in their society. They have instead been sent to Earth as part of a cultural exchange program. Uh Tanaja, San, Alaris, Naris, and Jalin are left to learn Earth customs on their own at the University of Wisconsin at Madison. Um, first things first, uh so for people who don't know, like Marvel was kind of going through it in like the late 90s, in the mid-90s. Like they actually had to like declare bankruptcy. And one of the books that actually sort of reaffirmed quality in marvel's products was the inhumans book by i believe it was paul jenkins and jai lee uh so just like like that is like such a revered book so just first question what is it like doing not necessarily a follow-up but like following in uh, those footsteps I, I guess like just so soon after that book came out was there any kind of internalized pressure of of, of delivering on this book
1: yeah yeah in a way i mean um funny thing is um back in the, in the early nineties, um, you know, in the, in the, in the dawn of the, of the internet age, um, I became friends with Paul Jenkins, um, on CompuServe. Um, and so we, we had known each other and he was a big part of, um, almost instrumental really in, in me getting, uh, my first work at Marvel. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, I was a huge fan of that mini series. I mean, that's you know, that and Hellblazer are my favorite things that he's done. Um, and, um, and I was asked by Tom Breaver when I pitched it, he said, you can do like a direct sequel to the Jenkins Lee thing, or you can focus on the kids. And I said, I'm going to focus on the kids. Cause that <laughs> saves me from trying to do something as, as, um, as big and complex as what Paul did with, uh, with with his 12 issue run um i mean that was that was a pretty weighty story um and i and i i did not feel that i was up to uh you know trying to compare (laughs) to to that in any way so i thought yes let me take a couple characters that he introduced in it and um you know and develop them further and and add some others and um and then as I did with Sentinel, set it in Wisconsin, because
0: I, I yeah. was raised in Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was i was, was going to come back to Wisconsin, don't you worry. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I got to ask, like, how cool is it? Because, like, that is such, like, an, we don't really know much about the Marvel Universe, right? Like, outside of New York City and Latveria, uh, we don't really know, like, a, a whole lot of places. There's Madripoor, there's Westchester. You know, like, there's a couple names that stand out. But then this guy, Sean McKeever, comes around, and ho- holy hot damn! Does a lot of Marvel start taking place in Wisconsin? What was it like being able to like bring your, not necessarily your hometown, but like your your yeah. your area, you know, like your region, like your your childhood? What was it like to bring that to the Marvel universe? Well,
1: I mean, it it, it was nice because I was comfortable with it, you know. Like I could I could write about it because I knew it. Um, and you know, even my my very first Marvel comic, the first page, uh, the Incredible Hulk, uh, was it twenty six. Um, there's a road sign and it takes place in, in, I think Wausau, um, Wisconsin, and there's a road sign and, and, you know, it, it, uh, it has my hometown on it, Eagle River. Um, and so, you know, like I've, yeah, I've been, um, I've been put in Wisconsin in wherever I can, I, you know, I, uh, um, I made an oblique reference to my series, The Waiting Place, which, uh, takes place in Wisconsin in, um, in the issue of spider girl that I wrote. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. And then in those two series, and then also uh, the character uh, gravity uh, that Mike Norton and I co-created, he, he uh, springs from Wisconsin as well. So I was, yeah, I was kind of like building my own little corner of the universe. It was always weird to me though, to write stuff in Wisconsin because when you think about superhero comics, you do think about New York city. You do think about like, the cityscape is almost like a necessary component of those fights and stuff. Like, yeah. you know, like fights in the suburbs aren't as cool <laughs> as no. as going around skyscrapers and stuff. You know, so um and and with you know um and with fewer um, uh, fewer bystanders, but um but you know, so you figure like, well, what are the kind of stories that you tell? And, you know, and like I was a big X Files fan, and so you know, you I took a little bit from that in terms of like how you can you know, do, do interesting things and dramatic things and suspenseful things in rural, uh, settings and that, you know, and that, uh, that helped me out. Um, but, but in general, it was, you know, it was, uh, a space that I could imagine and put the characters in and feel like I had a, a good command of, of what, what all the scope of the, of the, of their stage was.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so for those listening who don't know, the Inhumans are this group uh, at the beginning of your series, they were living on the moon. I'll be honest. I don't know where they're living right now. Marvel uh, Marvel I mean, moves them around a bunch.
1: <laughs> um, I mean, the last Inhumans book was called Death of the Inhumans. So I don't know if they're even around.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that was, uh, that was a Donny Cates book. So I assume you killed them real good. Uh, <laughs> uh, but they all look human. And then they go through this like rite of passage, basically where they're exposed to this uh, chemical called the Terrigen mist. And then that sort of endows them with powers. It changes their appearance. And then they are basically assigned a role in society and they're respected for their role, but that doesn't necessarily mean they respect themselves. And one of the characters, uh, this boy named San, um, he wanted to be a warrior. He was like, you know, a great athlete. He was incredibly strong. His father was like part of the Royal guard uh, that protected the King Black Bolt. And he wanted to do that so bad. And man, he goes through the Terrigen Mist and he shrinks and he becomes an artist. And, uh, man, everyone in that book is just depressed as hell. And then they go to college. Except for Alaris. Yeah, that's right. Except for Alaris, who's just like the the pre-Himbo, right? Like proto-Himbo. Yeah. Uh, just a big, beautiful, broad-backed warrior guy who Idiot. just always believes in the best in people in the a, best he's possible like a, situation. He's a puppy
1: dog as a person.
0: <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. He's the Rob Gronkowski of, yeah, <laughs> of Marvel. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Actually, you know, uh, big inspiration for that character was, um, oh gosh, and now I'm gonna blank on on his name. Um, this kid, it was he was in Election. He played. Uh, he played the brother. Um and he's just this big dumb super nice um uh football player, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I just loved that that kind of character, you know. It's like, oh man, just uh, uh you know, I just love the idea of a of a jock who's just like the sweetest, you know?
0: Right. Um Tanaja left her, her partner behind on the moon, uh Alaris. Yeah. Yeah, again, just happy to be there. Uh, Narice is like this badass fighter chick who uh, was dating this guy named Jolin who is just sinister and just d- twisted as hell.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's he's sociopathic.
0: Oh sure. God, straight up, yeah, he just like murders so many students <laughs> while on campus. Um, so like you take these characters who are already going through a lot, like they're already going through the, the Terra Genesis phase, like this big rite of passage this big coming of age thing. And then you take them and you, then you throw them at, you know, one of the biggest universities and in, in the Midwest. Um, I guess, how hard was it to, to sort of like avoid a lot of the college cliches? Cause like, I think you indulge in them, but you do a good job of like putting a twist on it, like the Marvel twist. But I mean, like, I, I guess like how hard was it? Cause this was, correct me if I'm wrong, like near American pie Two coming out, you know, like the movie. So like, how hard was it to not just do like a, a raunchy comic? And instead like the story with um San and like the, the woman who's like uh, pledging her sorority, rushing her sorority. And she has to ask him out as like a dare. And she like genuinely grows towards him, like absolutely falls in love with him. And then that becomes like a heartbreaking story. It gets better by the end. But like at the time we're left to believe that it's like this big traumatic thing how hard was it to avoid like these, these pitfalls and just tell like a real deep story? Or was that like always, always the intention? Cause it seems like it could have been such a fun book, but you got heavy in this book again.
1: <laughs> well, you, I mean, I, I wanted to mix it up between the light and the heavy, you know? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I, I did with the waiting place as well in terms of like trying to avoid cliches. I mean, I'm, I'm just always painfully aware of them. And I mean, you can't, um, to some extent you, um, Sometimes you have to lean into a cliche. Sometimes you subvert a cliche. Um, sometimes you don't even know something. So I've seen, you know, I've seen so many like, um, like reviews or just comments on stuff I've written where it's like, oh, that old cliche. And I'm like, that was a cliche. I had no idea, <laughs> you know? Um, and, but, um, you know, I think, I think the thing is, is that I'm a, I'm a big consumer of pop culture. And, you know, I, I you know, I, I like, you um, one of the first movies I saw in the theater, um, or at least it was the first rated R movie I saw for sure, was um, was uh, uh, Animal House. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, and I was I was probably five. <laughs> my mom covered my eyes whenever there were boobs.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I saw that movie way too young as well. Uh, yeah, that was that was a VHS that we had in our house. I've
1: sure. always been a fan of those, but but like I knew we couldn't. I knew that it was for ages, like you know uh, basically for middle school and up. Um, and, um, so, you know, I, I, I could never get too raunchy anyway, but I was really more, you know, again, I was more interested in the characters, um, and, and the culture shock of, of being from a completely different society, you know, um, one that is more of a, you know, a socialist, society and and where you know and and where everybody has a role and and you know and and looking to you know like Midwestern America where you know there's there's good ethics and stuff like that right good work work ethic or whatever but but like so much privilege compared to what they understand you know mm-hmm. it, it's um, so that was more interesting to me than like than like doing all of of, of the uh, standard, um uh you know kind of college uh, tropes um or getting into stuff like, like like you said like when i did hazing it was it was just an intro to telling um a uh, bittersweet love story um and you know and, and that was and like when it you know came to uh you know sports it, you know like I'm like oh what if alaris like was like too powerful be a player, and so instead he became the mascot. You know, right? <laughs> and and he and he's happy. He's like you know, just happier I'm picking shit. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm, I'm, just I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's
1: yeah. He's just he's like ah, oh, I made the team. I'm the mascot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after but, I um, gave someone yeah, a concussion I mean, by he, throwing them the ball. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. It's like it's like what are some you know what are some fun under, misunderstandings and what are some really dangerous misunderstandings and that that was kind of what i wanted to play with with that series
0: yeah and it got heavy again like towards the the final issue like san was ready to sacrifice himself to save this young boy that he didn't even know but like he thought he was so unhappy with his life that he was able like if he was able to improve someone else's life that would be worth it like that's more valuable than him living with his unhappy life
1: yeah yeah i mean you know a big a big springboard for this was actually um I've known a couple people in my life. I come from a town of like 1,200 people, really tiny. Um, And I know people who have moved away to, you know, cities. um, And they come back within maybe a year or two and come back to live permanently. Because they just couldn't, they couldn't take it, you know. And Mm -hmm. and when I moved, uh, I moved from there to Columbus, Ohio, from 1,200 people to a million. And there was... Certainly culture shock for me, you know, and then and then you take all that and it's like, well, you know, and that's me just talking as a Midwestern white kid, you know, like, like, you know, that was a a huge amount of culture shock. Just imagine if you're, you know, if you're an immigrant, you know, Um, and so that I mean, that was really, you know, like, like, I I just spent a lot of time thinking about that. And, And I think with San in particular, like that was his position was like, I don't like, I don't know who I am here. I don't, not only do I not know who I am because just before I left home, like I became a whole different person, but now I'm in this other world and it's like, you know, he's, he, it's, it's just like, he doesn't exist in a way, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so that was, um, I really miss that character. Now that you got me talking about him no, I, I missed him. that whole cast really, they were, they were a lot of fun to write. And I think, I think that, you know, I made a, I'm pretty proud of the mix of characters there in terms of, um, personality and, and outlook and, and all of that. Um, Nariz was just wonderfully, uh, snarky and cynical, um, but was starting to find her groove. Um, you know, Jolin was always going to be the, um, you know, manipulator and, and, uh, and, uh, sociopath and, and, you know, Laris, of course he was, you know, like, I'd give him some trials maybe, but, you know, he was going to, he's kind of, kind of the rock, right? Like he's the, like he's always going to be kind of buoyant, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. keeping, keeping everything kind of within a certain context. Um, And Tanaja was like, you know, she was growing into a leader, you know, and, and and that was, that was all a lot of fun to write. I, I do miss those guys.
0: Yeah, and uh one thing I've noticed too with your work in Marvel, you've been really fortunate to work with some just kick ass artists. Uh what sure. was it like working with Matthew Clark on that book? Because I think those are maybe some of the best pencils of, of their career. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: Matt Matt, um Matt's an awesome guy. I loved working with him. And then and then the the folks who followed up. Um Rob Taranishi only did a couple issues, but he was fantastic. Um and um and well, we had Dave Ross. Um I mean it, um Yeah, uh, working with Matt Clark, like, um, I'm trying, I can't remember the timeline exactly, but I think he had just done Felon with Greg Rucka, and, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I get to work with like a big time artist, (laughs) you know, and, uh, and yeah,
0: I mean, um,
1: you know, we developed a a good friendship out of that. Um, I'm really glad we got the chance to work together.
0: Uh, Another person you got to work with, someone you got to co-create a character with, Mike Norton. That's on Gravity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this wasn't your first time working with Mike Norton, was it?
1: No, my, Mike was, um, yeah, I started working with Mike on The Waiting Place, Volume 2. Um, I had only had six issues of The Waiting Place come out, but Mike was a fan of it. And at the time, he had just started doing uh, The Badger at Image uh, with Mike Barron. And, and he introduced himself to me at a, at a comic convention. And, you know, we wound up working together on The Waiting Place and became, you know, dear friends. And, and then we worked together on Marvel Adventures Spider-Man. Um, and while we were working on that um, is when I was offered the opportunity to create a character for Marvel. And I said, well, I want to I create the character with Mike. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, we were off to the races with Gravity
0: all right gravity tells the story of greg willis an nyu freshman from wisconsin who moved to the city with the hopes of being the next big hero while there he catches the eye of black death a crazed sociopathic villain intent on humiliating gravity before destroying him
1: Man, i like writing young sociopaths it seems like
0: yeah and just like god Damn, man, write a comedy once in a while. All your books. <laughs> hey,
1: there's, there's funny stuff in there. <laughs> All
0: your books are so heavy, man. It's like if The Cure like, stopped making sound, it just, just turned into pictures. It's Dude. Synesthesia of Robert Smith.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the biggest inspiration for Gravity was um, I went to college as a theater major. I, I, I was so sure I was going to be an actor. Um, and you know and and i i had it all figured out and I had nothing figured out because I was 18 what and what the hell did I know <laughs> sure and, yeah. you know I didn't know you know um again it's it's also a culture uh shock thing with him you know I mean he's going from Sheboygan Wisconsin to New York city um and so he thinks he has it all figured out and and you know the, the whole point of that was to put him through his paces but also you know to to show that there's that that's okay you know and that there's a there's, you know, um, you can roll with it and, 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 you know, be something else, you know, other than what you thought was the one and only thing, um, that you had your heart set on. Um, so, um, you know, a lot of people don't even know what they want to do for a long time. Um, and, you know, the fact that he had something at all, um, was something I wanted to kind of prove to him, um. But yeah, it was. Um, it definitely has its um, has its dark moments, and it and it doesn't end in the most um, um, satisfying way from the perspective of of like you can't watch you can't read the whole comic and say he was victorious. The only way in which he was victorious is like he got to meet Spider Man, and Spider yeah. Man like understood what is. What his emblem meant. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well,
0: that, I mean, it's pretty, and that's, it was pretty a clear.
1: that's a pretty big victory if you're, yeah, you know, like if you're a big Spider Man fan and, and you get to meet him and he's like, oh, yeah, gravity. Okay.
0: See you oh, later. You know, and it's, it. it's yeah.
1: like, oh, I got to meet Spider Man. I mean, I just almost died, but.
0: <laughs> <laughs> My girlfriend broke up with me. My roommate kind of likes me now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still yeah. calls me cheese. Um, Yeah, it's pretty clear that Spider-Man is your favorite character because that is like such like a poignant, heartfelt moment where the entire series is about him doubting his own ability. He meets this this character named uh, the the Greenwich Guardian that no one really knows about. And then it turns out the Greenwich Guardian was actually the Black Death, like the villain who's been like stalking him this entire time and was just like luring him into like a a false sense of security just so he could really bring it home. And it turns out that like we learned the, the Black Death's origin the Greenwich Guardians origin and he is again just like worst case scenario gravity like he's just complaining about all this stuff that like gravity had to deal with and then gravity realizes like wait you let this break you like I was so worried about like some punk ass who is like oh I didn't get a good grade or like oh the girl didn't like me and he's able to put that together and like as soon as he like humanizes this admittedly super cool looking villain like bad guy super great character design on black death as yeah, soon as he humanizes that. him and puts him into perspective then it's like game over like he doesn't stand a chance against gravity
1: right that's yeah and this this was intentional this time for them to be okay <laughs> uh for them to be sort of opposite numbers um yeah i i mean that you know it, it definitely gave greg some perspective um Like, oh, my God, what a whiner, you know, what a whiner he is and what a whiner I am, you know. like (laughs) um, Yeah, um, I I do love that design. There was some weird uh, legal thing, like some some um, uh, some comics publisher in South America claimed that that it it was a ripoff of some character of theirs. And so, like, the character will never be seen again. Um, So that's unless it's redesigned or something. But uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I love that Black Death design, love
0: it. Oh, it's super cool. Um, so you've said that Spider Man is your favorite character on this show. I think that's clear, given that moment that like his victory was like Spider Man acknowledging him and saying like, "Good job, man, you did it." I didn't even step in because I thought I thought you had it. You know, like that was like the uh, not even the encouragement, but I guess just like the the adulation that he was yeah, like yeah, it's like, like vindication. Like would... Yeah, yeah. Although um, I, I,
1: I claim the bigger victory was in was issue three where. He sees Spider Man and and he's like, oh, I'm, but I'm I'd rather spend time with you, you know, like, yeah, to Lauren. So that, like I, I I love that having that moment in there.
0: Well, Even that's what I got
1: kind of kind of bad after.
0: That's what I wanted to bring up because I actually love that relationship. Why was this only a five issue series, man? Where like why wasn't this an ongoing? This was like your Spider-Man, right? Like this was like a young hero going through so many like it allowed Spider-Man, the actual character in the six one six book to grow, right? Like it, it allowed him to sort of like do new things. And gravity is like where you could get those types of stories where it's like the guilt of being torn between like who you want to be and who you think you should be. Like there is so much room to grow. Why was this five issues? Why wasn't this an ongoing?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> Mike, and I, Sorry. Sorry. Mike and I loved making it. You know, it was always intended to just be five issues, but, you know, I mean, we really did hope that it would take off and that we could keep uh, doing stuff. We did get to go back to him, you know, in 2011. Um, and, you know, I, I put him through his paces for a while in, in the books, Young Allies and uh, and uh, Fear Itself, Youth and Revolt. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, I would have I you know, I would still love to to tell gravity stories. I know Mike would still love to tell gravity stories. Mike has story like Mike has story ideas that he wants to tell, you know, for Gravity, you know, and it would be it would be lovely to do it sometime, but I, you know, in a way I feel like that that's kind of past, you know, the moment has kind of passed. And if we did it, it would have to be something um, you know, it wouldn't just be a continuation of the miniseries obviously. Um, you know, we could, we could have the supporting cast in it, but it would be a whole different ballgame. But that's also, you know, opportunity for, to do some cool stuff. Um, But, um, but yeah, I, I appreciate you um, likening him to Spider-Man. That's Mike and I were like, you know, we were probably the biggest Spider-Man fans in the early eighties, early to, you know, like late seventies to to mid eighties, you know, and there was that whole period where he was like a single kid in college and um, you know, dating, and had this little apartment, and uh, worrying about bills, and all this stuff, and also being Spider-Man, and like, like that's a, a mix that I just love, and it, it's like, why not do that? You know, um, why why doesn't a, any comic book do that? You know, like, right. um, so so I wanted to really do that, and so did Mike, and and um, and I'm glad that that uh, that that vibe uh, took off uh, and and was uh, recognized.
0: Uh, you also did some work on a book called Amazing Fantasy, which was like a new anthology series that Marvel had had recently created. Uh, they had a six-issue story about this character named Aranya, and then I believe a second six-issue series about uh, this character called Scorpion. Yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah. yeah, I did too. And like, man, I wish that book were still coming out. Like, yeah, just pitch me a different character every, every couple months. Like, let, yep. let's just roll with it. Um, was it weird working on a book like that? And I guess all your stuff... It's incredibly personal, right? Like, it's incredibly heartfelt, incredibly heavy, as we've discussed already. Um, But it's a little, like, Marvel adjacent. So I guess I'm really curious, because, like, while you were doing this stuff, like, Young Avengers came out and was ostensibly about the next generation of heroes, like, taking place in the Marvel uh, comics, like, the 616 universe. So what was it like working... I don't know, like I, I guess, sort of like a yeah, just adjacent, like a, alongside this book that was kind of doing what you were had been doing for a couple of years. Like, was that was that hard to see, like this book sort of welcomed into the fold while the stuff you were working on wasn't as as readily accepted?
1: Well, I wasn't. Um, I would say I wasn't. I wasn't resentful of Young Av. I liked Young Avengers. That was pretty good. Um, mm. But but I what I would I was I was somewhat resentful of. You know i felt like i just did not get um you know welcomed into that main marvel universe you know everything was kind of adjacent um gravity would be maybe the closest um to being you know mainstream marvel of anything i did um you know a lot of the stuff i did was marvel age or marvel adventures you know mary jane none of which took place in the marvel universe um stuff that did take place in the marvel universe they were like oh you don't want to you know we don't want to have superheroes and in humans or in sentinel
0: mutants um
1: yeah we don't want to have mutants um and um and so it was frustrating you know um and and i mean you know it's kind of evident i wound up um you know in 2007 signing with dc and doing some mainline books for them um because that opportunity presented itself um (laughs) Interestingly, um, there's a whole, it's a big, long conversation, but um, I finally got invited to do something big at Marvel um, to be one of the writers on Brand New Day when Amazing Spider-Man went three times a month. Yeah. I was asked to be one of the inaugural writers for that. Um, But at the time, I had already committed to uh, Countdown to Final Crisis at DC, um, and I, I just couldn't in good conscience take both books. Cause I knew it was going to take up all of my time.
0: and um, well, especially, well, especially like one was like a three times a month book. The other one was like a weekly book like that. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, it's a lot to, even though I'm not writing weekly or, you know, it's, it's a lot to keep track of and a lot to be on top of. And, and I, I didn't think I could do it all. Um, and then I was kind of backed into taking an exclusive at DC. Cause they said, well, it turns out that if, if, um, if you're going to write countdown, you've got to be, um, you've got to be DC exclusive after which, you know, after I had turned down amazing Spider-Man, which if I had known that at the time, I probably would have taken amazing Spider-Man. But, um, but, um, you know, I, I I had some resentment, you know, um, that I, that I never quite got to do, you know, any of the big books. We tried to start an Avengers book, um, but it didn't really have an identity. I wrote one script for it and then you know, and then um, I had carved out an exception to work on it with my DC exclusive, but ultimately they just decided to scrap it, which made sense, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't uh, bear any ill will towards anybody who is successful, but I, but I, I sure wish that I would have been, you know, given the shot. Um, um, but huh, what are you going to do? <laughs> well, especially, I don't
0: know, like, it seems like like, obviously, like the story for Young Avengers, we just covered that on this podcast. So just did super in-depth stuff. That issue or episode came out this week. Uh, so we went super in-depth on like the first six issues. And like, obviously, that stuff is like super tied to like main Avengers continuity. But like, I don't know, man, like, I, I guess I just don't see a world where like, I don't see a really good reason why Justin couldn't have been welcomed more into like the Marvel Comics universe. I don't see why gravity couldn't have been. I don't see why we didn't spend more time with these Inhumans characters. And so I'm, I'm a little frustrated for you, I guess, <laughs> from the outside. Because, yeah. man, I, would, I just want to spend more time with these characters because I, I genuinely really dig them.
1: I mean, it's, a, it's incumbent on the other writers, you know, because um, Marvel doesn't really dictate it, or at least at the time. Um, I think they're a little more uh, proactive now in terms of at least in terms of getting books going like it, it all comes from them internally um but um but you know it used to be that like if there was a writer who's like oh i really like this character i'm gonna have them do a guest appearance you know then they do that and gravity got you know i'm dan slot used them a fair amount in amazing spider-man here and there mm-hmm. um he would show up you know like um i think like uh he would show up in uh, avengers academy and and um, I know Jeff Parker wrote this fun Avengers Christmas story with him in it. Um, yeah.
0: And, uh, like Avengers initiative, I know he appeared in, I think he was in a Marvel right. team up too.
1: That, yeah, that's what I was thinking of the initiative. Um, not, not Academy. Um, um, you know, and even as, as late as the, uh, as the Gillen, um, um, and, um, why am I blanking on the artist's name? Um, oh my goodness. Um, the, the later young Avengers series, um, right.
0: Um, uh, but, um, is that Brian Lee O'Malley? No, no, it was, um, yeah, um he, he, the, he did the covers. He...
1: Yeah. It's his, it's his normal, um, his usual, uh, collaboration. Oh, McKelvey? McKelvey. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Um, but, um, you know, then, uh, and, and, um, the biggest, the biggest thing was, um, was, um, having him show up in, um, a mini series called beyond that Dwayne McDuffie yeah. wrote, um, where he was killed with the intention that um, at the time they had planned to turn gravity into the next captain Marvel. And they were going to launch a captain Marvel series spinning out of civil war. Um, And I was going to write it.
0: Holy crap.
1: Yeah. And um, (laughs) it was, it was pretty, it was a pretty big honor. Um, It was cool, but basically like, you know, um, they were looking for a character that embodied Marvel to bear the Captain Marvel name at the time, and and Joe Quesada said, "Well, I mean, we've got Gravity, which was basically the ultimate Spider-Man of the Marvel Universe, is what he said, which was mm-hmm. really big compliment." Um, and so the so the plan was, we're gonna kill him at the end of Beyond. He he comes back in Civil War and. I launched a series that explains how the hell that happened. <laughs> why is he Captain Marvel?
0: <laughs> yada, yada,
1: yada, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yada yada yada. I'm Captain Marvel now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and um, at some point, I, I don't know what you know what changed, but it's one of those big event comics. Lots of things change, you know. Um, and, oh, and so they back yeah. they backed out on that, but but he was still being killed in Beyond. And I'm like, so what's <laughs> going to happen? And, and they're like, well, he's going to die. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but Dwayne McDuffie, um, it turned out, really liked the character. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I was having dinner with a bunch of people from D.C. And, and Dwayne was at the dinner and he wound up sitting next to me. And I'm like, oh, God, and this is like Beyond had come out. But I didn't know that he had plans for, for him yet. Um, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to talk to him. And, and so we started talking and he, he was super nice. Awesome guy. And he's like, "Yeah, I really like Gravity, so I'm I'm bringing him back to life in the Fantastic Four, you know." And I'm like,
0: "Oh, hell yeah, that's awesome!" Yeah,
1: so so he got to have a good little guest run in Fantastic Four, and that that made me really happy.
0: Yeah, I was actually Dwayne McDuffie's Fantastic Four run is like one of my favorites because it takes place in like such a weird time, right, where it's like. You had the, the Mark Wade Mike Waringo run, and then you had uh, like the JMS and I want to say Mike McCone run on Fantastic Four for a bit. And then it was Dwayne McDuffie with like Paul Pelletier.
1: Yeah. And then and it's just I like this Steve Miller and Hitch, wasn't
0: it? <laughs> and it's just like, OK, it's so like he just existed between like, you know, two of the biggest names that could have been writing Fantastic Four at the time. Some of the biggest artists that could have been drawing it. And he just had like this little like nine issue run like after Civil with War. With Storm and Black
1: like, Panther in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. God, it was so good. I love that. Yeah, yeah. And it was like Reed and Sue just like fixing their marriage, like on tight. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. It was think, really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. He
1: really, there like, like there's a certain kind of that, that cosmic um, that cosmic stuff and the relationship stuff that, that Dwayne just really got that, that made it, um, that made it pretty enjoyable. Um, and it, it, yeah, it, it kind of went all over the place in, in a fun way.
0: Yeah, that got that. I'm very excited to cover that that little run on this on this show that's coming down the the pipeline. Um, we're about at an hour. Uh, I'm gonna let you go, but I've got a couple quick questions before I do. If that's okay, absolutely. All right. Uh, first question: Did you take it personally when uh, Dan Slot got to write Great Lakes Avengers and you did not, being from Wisconsin?
1: <laughs> I think I think I may have made a comment to that effect, but no. I, I mean, there's nothing that ever. <laughs> that ever uh, enticed me. Um, the funny thing is he has a, he has a, this little scene that takes place in a town called Muskego, which is a suburb, of, more of an exurb of Milwaukee. And he said, and like it, there's one scene, he sets it on a street called Oak Hill drive. And it's, it's a tiny, it's, it's not even a quarter mile of road. Mm. I lived there until I was eight years old. <laughs> on Oak Hill Drive in Muskego, and and that's amazing.
0: Can I can I tell you why that was significant to me? Why? Because when I was reading that book, I lived on Oak Hill Road in Maine, <laughs> and so <like> that, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm from also like an an extremely small town, like a technically a village uh like I'm I'm from like small coastal Maine. So that's why I love connected. comic books so all much. Yeah. <laughs> um okay, that's that's really funny. Uh <laughs> uh if Marvel were to ask you to come back and pitch one character, who would be the top of your list? Oh man. Um well, it'd be Spider-Man loves Mary Jane
1: and then yeah. Gravity.
0: Is there anything we can do? Like, should I be, uh, should I be hawking, uh, Spider-Man loves Mary Jane, infinite comics. Like, should I be telling everyone to just read that right now on Marvel Unlimited? Would that, uh, would that move the needle?
1: I think, I think, I think the things that move the needles are sales and and views. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and you know, gotta be legal reads and legal views. Um, you know, but yeah, if you go on the app and read, um, you know, not just, uh, the infinite comic, but, um, I mean, my whole run of Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, virtually everything I did at Marvel is on that Marvel Unlimited app. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, make me real popular on there. Um, I also hey man, get, tr- you know, I'm trying. I also, get, I also get a little kickback from that.
0: Um, Good. I was, I was gonna ask. i was afraid it was like Spotify, <laughs> where it's like six cents per listen or whatever. Um, I've reread it's, a bunch. It's
1: yeah. It's I mean, it is like Spotify. It's not. It's not a lot, but it adds up. You know, it's beer money. Uh, is what gotcha. I call it. Um, but, um, but, you know, the, I think the more important thing is, is if they recognize that there's interest there, um, there's a mm-hmm. uh, collection of Sentinel one through 12 coming out in April as well.
0: Yeah. I have, uh, pre-ordered that. And I actually talked about that book to people that I had guests on this podcast for the Young Avengers episode and both of them that pre-ordered that book. So that's, oh, that's I three appreciate- sales for you right there. Yeah. And those pre-orders Always.
1: help too, because it, it signals to them that there's uh, baked in interest.
0: Hey man, I love your work. I'm always pushing your stuff on people. Uh, so. You know, Justin's dead now. So, <laughs> is he? <laughs> did you not <laughs> know that? Know that? It? I no? No? when did that
1: happen? I hate to break it to you, but Justin got killed in Avengers Academy.
0: Oh yeah, I was not reading that book. That was like there was just so many Avengers books coming they, out. Of one. No,
1: Avengers Arena. Sorry.
0: Okay. Yeah. The uh, that was Opus the one.
1: that was the arcade. Uh, like yeah. Was that, was that, that Dennis? Dennis hopeless. Yeah, Dennis hopeless, and I don't know who drew it. Yeah, yeah uh, Dennis, Dennis. Dennis killed Justin.
0: Oh, that sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that, I remember like being in Los Angeles at that point, and I was like just depressingly broke, so I had to unfortunately uh, yeah. stop buying comics for a couple years. Uh, but Marvel limit is making me catch up. I also I wouldn't have bought that book because I just hate Arcade with like a burning passion. I just oh, think that's like the the dumbest character.
1: He he is a dumb character, but you got to do the right thing with him, kind of like Mojo. You know, what's you that? Mojo from uh, the X Men. Yeah, from from X Men. But like, what, what's can't, what? I mean, you your can't fix. Take him, you just can't take him real seriously. Gotcha. You know, it's got okay. to be something kind of ersatz. like when I think whenever they do like a thing where it's like, oh, he's a real danger. Mm-hmm. Like he's better to be thought of as like the Impossible Man, but murdering. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, okay. All right. like I mean, he's he's almost a, like a joke character in a way. Um, the way that Mojo is um, like mm-hmm. a. He's farcical, you know? Right. Uh,
0: I guess so. Well, uh, I will buy your next book for Marvel. I'll buy your next book, period, even if Arcade's in it. That's that's how much much of a fan I am. Um, I guess before I really let you go, uh, God, I just have 10,000 questions, but I got to narrow it down. I I guess if you could, like, sum it up uh, as plainly as possible, what was it like writing for Marvel in 2003, 2004, trying to introduce this new generation of heroes? Like, what? what was it like to be a part of Marvel next, to be a part of Tsunami, to be a part of, I guess, Marvel Adventures, which was kind of just like rehashing old stories, but making them modern, making them uh, a bit more palatable to early 2000s sensibilities. Like, what was it like being a part of that era of Marvel? Because your name is just so intertwined in all of that stuff.
1: I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm still in awe that I got to do it, you know,
0: um,
1: I started reading Marvel comics when I was three years old. Um, and, and I love that, you know, that, um, that publisher and, and um, to be able to be a part of it um, and to get to write characters that I love to get to create characters there um, to get to, to get to be told, you know, do what you want to do um, was just it was, you know, it was, it was what a wonderful way to, to make a living, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It was, it was a, it was a pretty good time, and and I worked with a lot of really good editors, and, you know, I, I um, you know, there was a there was a sour patch in there, but, um, but I mean, all in all, boy, am I glad that that ever happened, and and I, you know, it's still hard to believe in in a way.
0: Gotcha. All right. Well, Sean, thank you so much for joining us. Sorry we kept you long. This has been awesome.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I've had a great time talking to you.
0: I appreciate that. I can't believe I got to talk to the guy who is writing all those Teen Titan stories I was reading back in high school and (laughs) all those Mary Jane comics I just have been obsessed with as like a now 30 year old. (laughs) I appreciate you reading them. All right. Uh, thank you so much for listening to Shortbox Summary. I'm gonna add in a little bumper here, so I don't have to bore Sean with all the details. But Sean, is there any work coming out that you would like to uh to talk about that people can look forward to on shelves?
1: I have absolutely nothing to announce. Um, n- uh, no new comics coming. Um, <laughs> the video game stuff I'm working on. Um, I think the last game I worked on isn't coming out. <laughs> so, uh, so no, I'm just you know I'm just plugging away, uh, working in video games still, and and um. Uh, but keep your eyes peeled. Um, there's, I'm talking to publishers about comic book stuff. So um, before the year's out, I'm sure you'll hear about something.
0: Very cool. Well, like we said earlier, uh, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, Mary Jane, Mary Jane Homecoming, Inhumans, Gravity. All these books are available on Marvel Unlimited. Please give them a read if you have the time and you are so inclined to. Also, New Printings, it sounds like, is coming out of Sentinel. I wouldn't be surprised if we got new printings of Marvel, uh, Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, pardon me, just because I had to go on eBay to get those. Those were already sold out when I was oh, looking wow. for them. Oh, <laughs> wow. Like I said, Sean, I got 10,000 more questions, but we are just out of time. So maybe another episode. Down maybe, the line. I'll,
1: maybe I'll come back.
0: Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll pull you on for a regular episode. We could just talk through a story that you really like. That'd be super fun.
1: That'd be fun, yeah. Cool.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. And uh, we will be back next week with a new episode of Shortbox. Thank you for listening. Please share and we'll talk to you soon.